Saturday afternoon, so we're having fun. I hope you guys enjoyed the show. Paul, tell us how you started in the industry when you were That's back, all in, back in those days. How many years is that? 20, uh, 20, so, well, I studied music and industrial psych and sociology at uni, and then I played in a band for a few years and realized that bands were great, but they didn't make any money. And then came to the UK, I was still playing in bands, and then worked in warehouses from Selfridges to... Uh, Selfridges to night speed and uh, was making minimum wage and went, this is great. I've got a job yeah. <laughs> in the UK. Got to start somewhere. Yeah, yeah. I eventually argued with a supervisor of mine about some overtime and left the job at night speed thinking I'd been a hero and saved a thousand five hundred pounds <laughs> winning. <laughs> and I uh, went from there. I answered an advert in the TNT magazine and it was for warehouse guy at core creative productions who used to be a very big uh, corporate production company but well very big I said they were hitting well above their weight they're part of the full circle group now and all kudos to them I did five and a half years of warehouse management there and learned uh, everything I know about lighting there because I knew a bit about sound from the bands um, I went from that into setting up the lights in the warehouse pretending I'm testing them Getting the whole full Nexo rig we had up and uh, <laughs> pretending I'm testing it, playing Lamb and <laughs> Prodigy and left field as loud as I could in the warehouse. <laughs> as you do. As you do, <laughs> exactly. So then I got the Techno Beams out, got the whole Hog 2 out, went, why is that guy only taking one box off the truck <laughs> and then standing there all day? <laughs> So it was um, like, you, you, ch you chose the easy way out of this. Is that what well, there's saying? no easy way out, Ross. You know that. There is no easy way, my friend. You have to either do the work with the muscles or the work with the brain. So, you know, there is no easy way. I'll never say that. I did wonder, though, why that guy was stood there with that one desk going, right, cool, I'm here now, done. And everyone else is running around like crazy people, putting everything up. And I was like, okay, this is interesting. So I set up the whole log two, got the techno beams working, and I worked out what DMX was. I'd worked out what power was, Dimiracks. And just by setting it up, uh, they wouldn't send me on site because they're too worried I was going to leave the warehouse. They were like, nah, we need this guy in the warehouse, man. We found someone finally who likes <laughs> exactly, the warehouse. Exactly, that idiot that's going to just sit there prepping kit all day long, loading trucks all day long. And uh, anyone listening, always take whatever opportunity you got and learn from the ground up. Take whatever opportunity you got. Look at what the lighting guys are doing, look at what the sound guys are doing, and just do it. And follow them, copy them, and but do the research as well. Learn what you can do, you know. Um, so, yeah, I went from that to uh, finally quitting my job after five and a half years. I made it from warehouse guy to warehouse manager, and then I was just unhappy. And I was like, well, this is boring. Something wasn't right, yeah. It was boring. It was boring. I was just loading trucks and prepping kit all day long. And it's like anyone that's worked in a warehouse knows exactly what I'm talking about, whether it's from Amazon to a production company. You're taking item A, putting item A into item C together into a flight case and labeling it and putting it on a truck. That's what all of us do from the beginning. The trick is to learn what the tech, tech does, you know, and spending your time learning that. So five and a half years later, everyone said to me, like, yeah, you know, go freelance. I'm like, well, I don't know enough to go freelance. They says, yes, you do. <laughs> yeah. 
you've known that for two and a half years, but it takes you a few years to realize that. So was that with the, the lighting stuff at that point, or was that more sound? Lighting and sound, everything. I did sound before when I was in a band, so I knew about the mixing desks and getting rid of a, a honk, but the lighting stuff was brand new. I didn't know what a Fresnel was. I didn't know what a DMX cable was. But after I'd worked in the warehouse for a few years, I knew exactly what all of them were. And I was shocked that some of the technicians we had on site didn't. <laughs> so we had a guy saying, I've got everything up to uh, 125. And I'm like, well, yeah, sure. But that's, you know, what was it? Yeah, it's binary. So if you, there's two ways of looking at a dimmer rack. There's 255, which is full binary, or there's 100%, which is in percentage. And this guy had it the wrong way around. <laughs> so he's on site, I'm in the warehouse, and he's going, everything's at half power. I'm going, yeah, well, obviously. <laughs> but anyway, after a few years of that, I got sick of it. My boss actually told me, he says, look, Paul, you look unhappy move on, go freelance, you know enough. And because I was sub-hiring a lot of kit from other companies, they were all like, well, cool, go freelance. Can you remember what your first freelance job was when you actually it left, was, made the jump? Indeed, I left uh, Core, and they were a great bunch of guys. I love them all to, all, love them all to death, but I've got really friends with, good, good friends with Steve, um, John Backer at Starlight, and uh, a few of my friends, Sam Akerster at Wise Productions, and they just said, yeah, if you go freelance, we'll hire you. So I just took a leap of faith. I'd saved a little bit of money. And you have to save money if you're going to go freelance. Don't do For it. For sure. No don't money. do it without any money. No, Absolutely. Don't do it. Save, 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 save. Um, full time is a great thing. Don't do it. <laughs> if you're going to go freelance, have your connections set up six months to a year before you go freelance. Well, yeah, that's very, very wise it. words for you youngsters out there. Make sure you're set up before you take that jump, before that leap it's of faith. It's easy. Just comes. make your connections. Speak to Ross, speak to Jeff, speak to the boys. Make sure you've got the connections because you can't just leap from nothing into the abyss. You've got to have your stuff together. So anyway, I was lucky. I had a few friends in the industry. And my first job, I ended up on site. Like, so what do we do? And they were like, well, we don't know. <laughs> Got all these speakers here. <laughs> Maybe set them up. Like, where are they going? <laughs> we don't know. <laughs> Eventually, we found a production manager. We went, oh, yeah, let's go there. Let's go there. Went, oh, so the blue one goes into that one. Yeah, that's easy. <laughs> and then you learn to run your cables tight. But it just takes time and a lot of time. After moving into from live events to TV, I'm learning that all over again. <laughs> it's another and huge... That's another jump, yeah. Oh, so I'm in the deep end. I'm like swimming against the current at the moment. And it's... That yeah. kind of makes it more exciting, though, doesn't it? It's something when, it, it. when it becomes fresh. I and love then it. You I mean, Ross, you and me know each other from time. So you know what I know and what I do. So, well, I mean, you are not... Devil Productions. I mean, what can I say? You are the devil. <laughs> Thank you very I mean, much. What can I say? <laughs> very kind it's of you like, like you, you've got my soul already. <laughs> that, that's the first thing you took away you've from me. You've earned it. You've earned it. Over the six years we've known each other, you've earned every exactly penny of my right. love. And oh. respect, my friends. But um, it's, it's, yeah, going forward, you've just got to work your ass off and just pay attention to every detail. If you, you we, we try to give, uh, like, people just getting involved in the industry. Absolutely. What is the best information you've ever received about about this job? 
what you know the best be word. curious be curious right. learn and figure out what these other people are doing that makes them different right learn what aspect of them that you think you don't have differentiates them from you because i tell you what there isn't anything they've just had the experience right okay there's people i know that have gone from a burger van to being a gaffer because they just they knew how to make good burgers and they just no no because they've been willing to work in a burger van and they've been willing to put the energy into doing something simple my test i used to do a test in the warehouse where it was called the broom test and everyone would come in for an interview when I was working in the warehouse and uh, became manager and blah, 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 blah. But they would be all lying to me. I've done all this, I've done all that. I'm like, yeah, that's fine, that's cool. And even if they were legit, that's fine, that's cool. And I would set the guys, like, right, make a bit of dust on the floor, put a bit of shit out in the way on the warehouse floor. And I'd take them from the interview and I'd give them a broom. I'd say, oh, shit, oh, sorry, jump. You don't, I mean, I'm showing you the warehouse, but do you not mind just giving me a quick hand here? Give them a broom. I take a broom, and you watch how someone sweeps the floor. And that's not even transferable skills. It's a mentality. Right. Now, if you watch someone sweep a floor, they will do it in a certain way with a certain energy. And if they don't do it, if they drag the broom behind them as if the broom is not good enough for them, I don't give a shit if they're accountants or someone who wants to be a production manager or a lighting designer. They are never going to be better than the broom. Well, they're always going to be better than the broom. But the broom is the, one of the best tests you can ever do into how much energy someone's going to put into something as simple as hanging a light I and think then going from there to DMXing the lights. Yeah. And then becoming from DMXing the lights, tidying your cables, and then going on to eventually programming the lights and then eventually production managing your own shows. Because believe me, even production managing a huge show is all about the broom. You need to tidy the details. You need to make sure every single aspect of that job is taken care of. Yeah. Now, if you think you're the big high flight engineer and walla walla, and those details don't apply to you, don't blame the local crew when they put the thing on the wrong truck. You didn't sweep the broom. You didn't tell them which truck to put it on. Sure. It's your fault when you're in charge Anything that goes wrong, apart from blatant stupidity or malicious stupidity, which are things almost in this industry, if you worked in it long enough, you have to have the mentality of the broom. See, I've never heard this before, but this makes so much sense. That's a really, yeah, really a important point. That's, that's awesome. Glad to have heard that. Thank Absolutely. you. Can I ask, though, how many, uh, on average, a percentage of people pass the broom test? I would say 50-50. The more people think they're better than the broom, I mean, it's entirely a personal choice. If you think you're too good for a job, I've seen kids that have come from college that think they need to be straight from a, into a grand MA and doing a huge show, yeah. whereas they've never actually done any stuff on site or hung a light, you know, and I'm sorry, but they've not swept the broom. They, what they need to do is get on and understand that, you know, as, I mean, I'm not judging anybody here, but the danger in the culture we're in now is the fact that people are overeducated in certain senses. You can learn the Grand MA3 in five YouTube tutorials with somebody talking a load of rubbish at you, and you can learn the visualizer in your bedroom. That's great. You can design a 5,000 light rig in your bedroom. 
No problem with a desk. But the problem is, if you come to touring that, how are you going to fit that in a venue? How are you going to get, how are you going to production manage the crew? How are you going to cost it, budget it? Now, these things need to be taken into consideration because I've done a very many gigs with really high-end lighting designers and they've spec things and we've said to them, right, fine, you want to put this into a 3,000-cap venue, you want 50-odd strobe lights at the back of your thing, I need to quote you for another generator. They're going, why are you quoting for another generator? Because we haven't got physically enough power in the venue to service your rig and the rig we've got. And they're going, yeah, but that's a lighting design. And you go, well, that's okay. I'm going to send this to production. And you go, hello, production. So we need to quote you for a generator plus a backup because this guy wants an extra 40, you know, atomic 3000s, which are 3K each. And uh, production go, what? <laughs> and Fuck they go, uh, sorry. And I mean, I must admit, there's a huge name band that I know that Aldi got sacked on on that basis. And there's also situations where you go, yes, it's lovely to have that much weight in the roof. But if you're touring a show, every single venue, you've got to minimize your rig to the lowest capacity roof, unless you've got three rigs you can tour. So the basics always have to come into play. And at some point, you have to learn the basics, not just what's happening on your computer screen and the lighting desk. So anyway. Has this changed? I mean, uh, where did you get your basic training from? Where did that come from? With Ground that up, from the warehouse up, up to Sweeping working. the broom. Sweeping the broom, bro. I mean, did sorry, you do the broom test? I passed the broom test all day long, brother. <laughs> Every fucking day. <laughs> I invented it as far as I'm concerned, but I mean, obviously not. My friend in advertising, funny enough, used to do the coffee test. So he'd be advertising new candidates that were like, uh, wanted to be, and he was a creative director at a very, very major ad agency, which you've seen his adverts on TV. So when he was inviting new uh, candidates, they would go to, he would make them go to a coffee shop. And the way he would do it was he would watch how somebody else ordered a coffee. And he would watch their interaction with the coffee person, the barista. And if they were rude to the barista and entitled, he would know where they were coming from. If they were nice to the barista and, and companionable, he knew he could put them in front of clients. Wow. That's a very simple test, which should be probably, you know, allowed with, you know, most work nowadays. Yeah. The problem is it's secret, though, isn't it? Yeah, well, I, I think you can apply it to literally every every theatre of work. It's, and I think people should. So anyone listening, please take that on board. Yeah. But, yeah, you know you're going to be given the broom test. You know how you learn to do the broom properly. The broom test is you something within surprise, yourself. It? It's the same as the coffee test. Yeah, yeah, it's something no, within it. yourself. The thing is, it's trying to separate the arrogant from the 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 um, sincere. Let's put it this way: anyone sincere will do anything they can to it's further themselves and further their own uh, ambitions without trying to take away from other people. Whereas, if you fail the broom or the coffee test, then who are you? I mean, if you think you're being big buck banana, then so I've noticed the similar things with some engineers. Sometimes they might get a bit arrogant as to the kit that they use. Um, what's your, what's your you, opinion on that? If you're touring, I'm afraid to say you can get arrogant about your kit, but if you're in Estonia, you need to use what you got. 
and that's the that's the difference between an engineer and a designer or a I mean, everyone gets all fucking arsy about what type of mic they're using. My, when I was touring with Fields and Nephilim many years ago, hello, Carl, um, I used to wear a white shirt. You got really pissed off. He's like, sitting on saying, we're black, we're black, we're a goth band. I was like, my white shirt. Sorry, Mr. McCoy, I do apologize. Um, but the sound engineer on that tour, um, oh, forgive me, I can't remember his name, but we would end up in a venue in the middle of nowhere in Eastern Europe and he would EQ each box according to what he needed to sound like. And it didn't matter, it's definitely not Maya, believe me, or Al Acoustics. It was anything they'd found in the garage, more like a sound clash. But he could EQ his desk because he was that good to make it sound what he wanted to sound like. And that is the trick. You can't be hung up on kit. I've done I've done so many gigs. I mean, the Chinese 230-watt beams, which I'm sure you most lighting guys out there know about. They're horrific. They've got the same sharpie personality, and uh, then they change one channel. <laughs> Have you got any sharpie history when that first came out? And it just sort of... Point is, we burned two holes in our tent at Glastonbury once. That cost 20 grand. I've seen so, so many stages have holes Don't in the back now. Don't locate the man. <laughs> the trick with a sharpie or a pointy, anybody out there listening, is uh, make sure, if you can, make your locate attribute on a sharp or a pointy, a full, full wide zoom and a prism because you will burn stuff. It's just a true story. <laughs> I have burned many an amplifier behind the back line. <laughs> and we did, did destroy a tent once, so yeah. Yay! <laughs> Don't zoom them in, bud. <laughs> Any soft fabrics are flammable. <laughs> Your safe throws about two hundred yeah, meters. Fire rated uh, curtains, they still melt, don't they? That's the yeah, 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 yeah. Fire rated, so sure. <laughs> You're relying on the set department to do that, mate. <laughs> I don't know about fire rating, but it's flame bar is a nice idea if anyone does it. <laughs> so, have you got any uh, favourite tours? Uh, maybe. Oh, all of them. I love all, all of them. them. Okay, well. Tourist <laughs> feels the F. Um, <laughs> yeah, you're asking me now. It's been a lot hmm. of them. Rusty and Hudson uh, Mohawk tonight. Big up. I've had some amazing times. Yeah, I mean, there's many bands where we're. Gang of Four, Andy. God bless you, Ross Soul, mate. Um, yeah, I've had lots of tours. And yeah, I do lots of corporate as well. Now, obviously, moving into the you know film world has been very interesting. It's interesting the different cultures between film and, and what we do. And it's, there's no judging. You can't judge. You just need to learn what people do and then adapt to the differences and then try and apply the differences in skill because there's like a lot of people that go, oh, well, they're, they're all wrong, they're all wrong, they're all wrong. I mean, in a way, the film people always tie things up with a piece of string I used to think that was ridiculous, but then I realized how much PVC tape we use in rock and roll. And it's like, <laughs> fuck's not better for the earth, man. PVC and gaffer. That's that stuff right. costs money, bro. Exactly <laughs> and it kills right. the earth, bro. <laughs> so in a way, from film work now, I'm going, yeah, we should all just be using twine. And it's like, well, once you get used to it, it's not a biggie. Velcro as well, you know. I mean, I know there's a few companies that will charge you if you use PVC tape because they've given you a perfectly good Velcro strip on it. 
And to be honest, I used to be anti that, but now I'm pro it. Jeff, up to you, mate. What's your question, sir? <laughs> My question to you. I don't know. I, I always love the stories about where where something simple has caused something really big to go wrong, or you, vice versa. I don't know. You got to have something with all your experiences. I'm trying to think of which one would be the most applicable. Lay them all out. So many of them. I try to forget those ones. The trauma is usually like something best forgotten. No, we need the trauma. We need oh, the trauma. Oh, dude, yeah. We want to feel your pain. My pain is immense, bro. I mean, <laughs> I, personal pain. It's lack of planning. Lack of planning is the biggest problem you got. When people just assume. Now, never assume anything. When you turn up at a venue and everyone's told you, yeah, you can hang all that there, and you get there and you go, we certainly can't. I did a hideous job. Uh, it was my biggest, biggest ever, and uh, it was affected me for life, to be fair, but also taught me a good lesson. And I was at uh, field day. My client had booked a tent. I'd sent emails. I'd not read the emails. I was coming straight back from Glastonbury and uh, I was on the back of a load of other gigs. And we hung all these trusses. And I was like, and I said to the rigger, they look a bit thin for the cater rails. He went, yeah. And I said, yeah. He says, well, they rated out. I thought it was 150 keys. And he's like, yeah, okay. I says, well, I think so. I don't know. I mean, you're the rigger. He was like, well, you know, they've done the, the recce and shit. So both of us started rigging up my trusses for my client. Anyway, so we rig up these fucking trusses, and it was a big gig. I was man alone. I had, like, uh, one rigger with me. The production company I was ostensibly working for didn't, um, didn't have any other clue for me. <laughs> We rigged this truss, so I'm out the back with one of these local crew guys, and we're having a quick ciggy, and we look back at the tent, and it's like, after everything's been rigged, and we're going, that arch isn't supposed to be doing that. And I went, <laughs> oh, no. I was like, that's really wrong. Turns out, we rigged it, and I mean, this is my early days, and it's still my greatest fucking failure, man. Oh, it was uh, it was a brutal moment. Edit that fuck off out there. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's Sorry, in, all man. rock and roll anyway, motherfuckers. <laughs> yeah, Come on. The only thing that's staying in. <laughs> yeah, right, motherfucker. Okay, anyway, so yeah, so yeah, it was my biggest failure ever at that point, and I took it personally because I was not necessarily responsible, but I was responsible in the greatest sense, and it went horrifically wrong. We bent a marquee beam because those points were only actually per beam 15 instead of 150. 50? So literally 15, a factor of 10. Five. <laughs> oh, my God, dude, don't even go there. Oh, don't even go there. We were not hanging that much. I mean, we were definitely not pushing it to the 150. We were like about 30 to 40, but it was still enough to give it a little kink. And I called it in. I was like, this is wrong. And, uh, yeah, I was given a load of shite. And it was like, well, it's actually <laughs> not really my problem because <laughs> I'm working for you and you should assert it, all of that. We kind of discussed it. But at the end of the day, you need to pay attention to all the other shit other people say they're paying attention to. Yeah, because that don't does go trust, back to what you were saying, doesn't don't it? Don't trust 
anyone. anyone. Don't trust anyone. Everyone's I mean, responsible at the end of the Everybody day. Everybody is. And I mean, at the end of the day, I've, you know, it was uh, just a total nightmare no one wants to deal with. But the fact of the matter is, even if you, if they say it's cool, double check it. Because at the end, once it's all gone wrong, you're all the ones writing health and safety reports and doing analysis and doing what the fuck was that I suppose all that's the worst case scenario is you realise that mistake oh, after it's all hung. Mate, that's the, it, was, uh, yeah. it was beyond because I had to then de-rig it all. I've suggested a few solutions as in putting them on, on the super push-ups and stuff, get the kink out and keep the gig going. That was mooted because of the cost factor. It was cheaper for them to take it all down, and I was like, really? <laughs> oh, so, so was that the show was pulled then at that point? Not at all, no. no. We, we pulled, we had to <laughs> re-rig it hats in the morning. No, we the show must go on. no, we dropped it. We dropped it and re-rigged it, so it was lighter, and yeah. then the crowd still came in. Then I still had to do the entire outside facade on my own and then de-rig the whole fucking thing on my own, so... Happy days, you know. It is what it is. It is what it is. It's called rock and roll. But my tr- my my main point is don't trust anyone. Look at it. If you think it looks wrong, even though someone said it's right, question it and take it higher up before you do anything. We were just in such a rush and there were so few people to do it. We had to just get on with it because the, the production pressure is always going to be get it done. When's it going to be done? How long is it going to take you? How long is it going to take you? But really, there's only a few lights. You're like, well, <laughs> yeah, but what is that rated at? What is that? Where's the power coming from? Who's in charge of the power? Who's rigging it? Oh, we're rigging it. So where's your NRC rigger? Have they oh, passed the broom know. test? <laughs> well, <laughs> yeah, yeah I mean, it's, uh, there's certain points where you get steamrolled into not being able to give them a broom test because they're actually in charge. <laughs> oh, no. This is the difference. If People in charge who haven't passed the broom I'm, test, If I'm no searching good. someone for my gigs, I can give them a broom test, but no one bothers giving me one because I'm sorry, when you start playing at the levels we're talking about, boys, which is the same level you play at, there is no broom test. We have already passed the broom test to even be in the same room. Mm-hmm. This is the difference. So I just say, anyone like, look, beware, buyer beware. <laughs> I mean, this thing didn't even have snow loading, let alone a rigging loading, but they, that's what they got me to rig lights off. At that point in my career, I wasn't smart enough to actually super question it now that would have never passed muster because i've i've learned my stripes but don't believe a word they say double check everything triple check everything triple check how much your generators can actually give i mean we're finding this on the film shoots now it's like you give a landy generator and then x amount of lights and you're going but a land rover generator can only generate so many kilowatts the and thing. they still want those many, and then they start adding extra stuff. But I mean, especially film stuff is, is really hungry on the power front, isn't it? Film. The, the lights are huge. Yeah, yeah, the yeah. lights are huge. You're looking at 20 kilowatts, 10 kilowatts, you know. And, so it's, and it's a lorry of, generator as opposed to a, something you no, can rotate. No, no, this, uh, there's a lorry generator 90% of the time, but that depends which side of the shoot you're on. So you might have the lorry for the huge stuff, but things move on film sets massively. So 
you'll have, okay, they've planned for that, but then they move the cameras to this position, and suddenly you need to be working out exactly how many kilowatts you can pull off the landy generator, which is the easier cabling edge. And that's when you really need to do your maths. I mean, I would recommend anybody, the BS7909 course, do it and work out your, your power triangles and have the least that basic knowledge because knowing a light is pretty is not the same as knowing how much power it can draw and what you can draw it from without either blowing the, the power or not, you know, overloading your cables. You have to know this knowledge. What kind of uh, relationship do you have with... Do you have any relationship at all with the directors or do they just think he's the guy who's been employed directors for Directors don't give a shit. They, that's not their problem. We have to deal through production and then we've got a gaffer or a DOP. Well, the DOP wants to look. You've got a gaffer who's in charge of making us make the look. So who, what's the DOP? Director of photography. So you've got a director of photography, and then you've got a lighting gaffer. Now, the gaffer is essentially what we would call a production manager slash crew chief. Oh, no, the production manager, essentially, if the lighting production manager. So what, what I do for, for us, essentially, Ross, is our production manager of lighting or lighting director of Pride. I work out all the major stuff, right? Right. Then you've got somebody like a Darren who would do the best boy, which is best... I mean, it's a, such a shit name, isn't it? <laughs> I want to be the, best, the best boy. boy. I want to be Fuck, the best boy. I hate boy. that title. It's so crap. Who thought but, of that one? But it's, anyway, it's an official but, title, actually, isn't it? It's right. It, just, oh, it dude, sounds like it's been made up, but it's... on sheets. Yeah, no, yeah, no, 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 no. Yeah. Best boy is essentially what we would call a crew chief, a head crew chief. So... But that's up to... The, now, the, all the shit flows downhill, so they want us to do that. But... These things need to be metered out and measured out and worked out. I mean, most of the film shoots I've done, the best, the best, best boys, gaffers and that have been amazing. But, you know, things change on a dime. But you, as a crew and even a basic crew these days, you should have at least a basic working knowledge of dividing your watts into your voltage, know how many amps you're pulling on each circuit. That's the most basic. I mean, I don't care how great your granime and whatever visualization is, if you can't work out how many amps you're pulling or how many lights you got on a 240 volt, go home. You need to work that stuff out for yourself because otherwise you're useless to me and you're useless to most other crew chief etc do you know i mean even for smaller stuff um even if it's um especially for smaller yeah. stuff if it's huge jobs someone else is running your power if you're doing it's overcompensated rave, normally yeah well not overcompensated compensated compensate okay yes yeah, yeah no there's no overcompensation when it comes to this you need to know what you're doing and on a big job it's fine because you got i mean on the f big full shoots we do or big gigs we do like i mean myself and ross have worked on many um you've got a power guy you've got a rigging guy my all my riggers for brighton pride are nrc1 rated or above or i mean no above <laughs> my power guys are all 18th edition they will deal with all of that stuff you know that's fine so we can just tell the crew what to do and it's all safe and it's all signed off when you got the smaller jobs is when you get the problems because then you've got a couple of guys who have not been paid enough money to deal with what they're supposed to deal with. And then you've got one guy who's kind of in charge but is not paying attention to what's going on. You've got a small amount of power and a whole load of lights. And then but someone comes along need... with a kettle. 
Fuck kettles and fuck hair dryers. Dude, how many fashion weeks have we done? They've got four hair dryers pulling like a 2K each on a drum, a windy drum, and they wonder why it's smoking by the halfway through the gig. You're like, you're on a 13 amp, mate. <laughs> you got three hair dryers. You're pulling like fucking 16 amps through a 13. And it's on a fucking magnet. Well done, you. <laughs> That's our biggest nightmare with fashion shows is keeping the, like our heads on the hairdryers. What's what's been your favourite show? If you can think of one show which has been your favourite, can you actually all of them? Every every oh, single Paul, one. Don't say that. Come every on. Every single one. Mr. De Villiers. Could... I'm sorry. No, there I'm must be. I'm gonna stop be. you there, Ross. Every single one. I could shut the back of the truck on, and no one's got hurt, and we made a successful gig. That is all my favourite gigs. Okay, so that's paramount. If if the gig is successful, uh, you can't ask me that question. Well, Every I can. Single I just one have. I, I I have actually have asked that question. Maybe I'll rephrase I know it. You have. Let me rephrase it because we don't like musicians very much, see, because they're the people that come in and mess everything up after we've done really hard work. Some of my you must have had gigs. some nightmare musicians. That... No, but I've had so many favourite gigs. You can't ask me to say a single one out. I mean, okay, any. That's an unfair <laughs> question. It is an unfair question. I mean, what can you remember? There we I can remember every single one. Every single one. Boomtown with Dave and Nick and the Video Illusions guys. Nucleus and Sector 6 were amazing. Glastonbury with uh, all of my crew on Glastonbury, Alan King and the boys and all of us on the common. My first ever Glastonbury is probably one of my favourites. That was uh, with the Bearded Kitten guys, and that was, I don't know, Jesus, was 2015, 2014? I, I, don't, I can't even remember how long ago it was. Pulling that one off was amazing because it was just me on the cherry picker, and uh, oh my God, it was all my friends. I can't remember their names now. Jesus, that's horrific. But we pulled it off. Against all odds, we pulled it off. My other favorites now, I suppose, are my new favorite, which I'm doing now, is this huge thing in Chengdu, which, um, yeah, that's my new favorite. Your favourites are never favourites. You've always got a new favourite. And it goes through time. But the ones I'm proud of, uh, there's thousands of them, hundreds of them. We destroyed a small village in uh, Dangjia. This is what we want to hear. (laughs) You know, what what actually, uh, what towns have you destroyed? Oh, I destroyed a village in China. So we did a job uh, through my good friend Dave Perry. And, uh, oh, God, Dave, I hope you don't hear this. But anyway, I'm telling us the story. (laughs) So we were given a brief and they wanted this entire village lit up to celebrate the ancientness and the veneration of this village in the, in Danjia village in, where were we, Yangtze province, I think, somewhere in China. So they pushed us for design. We got paid. We're like, okay, cool. Um, they gave me a DWG. I sent I tried to load it into Capture and I spoke to Lars and Lars was like, mate, we're supposed to do stages, not three kilometers worth of DWG CAD design, right? And I was like, okay. Well, it was... It's a DWG. It's called a CAD, man. It's computer-aided design, Jeff, bro. (laughs) Come back out the bush, bro. (laughs) So DWG is the file. It's the last time I had a mate. Oh, too long ago, man. Too long ago. We need to have one today, bro. I'm hoping you're sorting that out. That's your mission today, Jeff. So anyway, so yeah. So basically, unless I've shown you pictures, you won't understand the scale of this job. But I was 
tasked. I'd done a job for uh, really good friends of mine, Ethics Productions. We'd done a, a mile's worth of lights around Victoria Park with 100 Sharpies, 100 G-spots, another 100-odd chromospheres, and 100-plus park hands. We did literally a mile around the lake, and there was a jogging track for Adidas. And uh, after I put that on Facebook, um, my mate Dave Perry went, I can give you a bigger gig than that. I went, really? <laughs> then this thing came about. Motherfucker. Anyway, so, excuse me. <laughs> you can swear, so, mate. It's all right. Uh, it's, it's fine. Podcast. You know, my mum might be listening. You never know. <laughs> yeah, fuck, fuck her. You know. <laughs> Okay, he's just that voice. <laughs> anyway, so to commemorate the ancient vintageness, I mean, it's one of the oldest villages in China, apparently. So I give this brief. Right? We need these outdoor lights everywhere. I'm like, okay, cool. I've got no idea what the thing looks like. I didn't make the side physically, I couldn't get a visa. None of them knew how to work the drone, so they got this drone. (laughs) Kind of did a bit of work. I couldn't see really much of what I was doing. But I had the ground plan, so I was like, all right. And, I mean, these lights were like three or 4K outdoors. They had a 32-3 phase cable on them. So we spacked out a load of those on these roofs. And so I thought, you just put them on the roof of a thing. It's fine, you know. It doesn't matter where they go. Use common sense. No, 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 common sense doesn't exist. I I feel drama coming. They put them on pylons, drilled in and cemented into the ancient venerable (gasps) pavement of the ancient three, four thousand year old village, piled them in there on these grey poles with a flat top, right? And that that wasn't bad enough. We saw one which had a shortened pole. We're like, why is that short? And then put the three-phase moving head spotlight underneath somebody's roof eave. Because <laughs> that's where the dot was on the piece of paper. <laughs> so if they turned it on, we'd have burned this guy's house down, basically. <laughs> they then bulldozed. But no one died. Touch wood, no one died. Oh, I'm getting to that. All right. I'm getting to that. It's a long story, man. It's a long story. I will show you the pictures later, mate. You will be amazed. Uh, anyway, so... Unbeknownst to us, they'd sent us these pictures of what they were doing. And then we had, um, they bulldozed the front end of the village and then decided that was a shit place for the stage. So then they decided to bulldoze all the forest on the back end of the village. And that's where we made the stage. I got there, they were rushing me for the design. I was like, okay, cool. I managed to finish it all. We had these huge, I mean, they're like about four-story tall lighting towers and a, a sort of half-moon-shaped pool. We told them, pour the concrete once, let it dry. Twice, let it dry. Three times, let it dry. Four times, let it dry. And five times, let it dry. Then you can pour the water. No, 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 we'll just pour it once, let it dry, and then wonder why it's leaking, and you're going, oh my god, (laughs) we told you. But we basically destroyed this ancient venerable village for a stage show that as far as we can make out, the government changed, and we think they pulled the funding, and I think their client lost about 20 million on it, but I had nearly a thousand lights on that job, it was beyond a joke. Did everyone get paid? 
we got paid. <laughs> That's I don't know a about start. the local yeah. labor. <clears throat> well, the funny thing was they were using Shaolin uh, monk um, sort of uh, kids well, and stuff because <laughs> they didn't have to pay them. Our crew, my crew, as in orange really robes. dodgy, dodgy. No, I'll show you a picture later. That for the pyro, there was a 14-year-old kid with a bucket of coal and a pair of tongs. Uh, next to him was a 14-year-old kid with a baseball bat, and they would just throw up a, a lump of coal and then smash it. <laughs> it looks amazing, though. <laughs> this this was not idea. my idea. I was like, where are the germs, mate? And they're like, no, it's fine, we've got to cover it. 100 kids around the fucking swimming pool, mate, going, smash, 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 smash. 100 kids with baseball bats. This under- <laughs> and, and buckets of coal. Bro. I'm going to show you the video now so you guys get what I'm talking about, because everyone on this channel is going to think I'm lying. <laughs> Listen, guys, I'm showing them the woo-wah factor. But that was definitely the craziest, craziest job I've ever done. I'm what we'll a, do is we'll maybe try and um, find a way of uh, posting this to the, uh, uh, to the notes on this episode. Website, if you've got a website, I'm going to give you some loads of footage that you can actually legitimize my story with. We, yeah, I think there is an option for us to... Because uh, yeah. look at that. That's, that's exactly what I'm talking about. Oh, it looks so fucking dangerous. <laughs> oh, my God. That, it looks like good pyro, doesn't it? With baseball bats, dude. Well, that's I mean, children with baseball. Jesus. Fourteen, they're teenagers, man. They call them children. Come on, slave oh, labor. <laughs> slave labor happens to Zara and Apple, man. Come on. <laughs> but that's one picture. Then there's uh, that's what it actually looked like in the end, kind of thing. These oh, are spectacular. The aerial artists were insane. We had like about five hundred. I'm not seeing a lot of ancient history there, though. That's um, funny <laughs> enough. No, yeah, it was all destroyed it. by that point. Yeah, <laughs> it wasn't. It was not my design, bro. That is the village being projected on by about twenty, thirty k's onto these people's houses. <laughs> It's, That's I mean, it's, it's beautiful, covered. but at what cost? <laughs> I know. Well, it's China, mate. I mean, the China yeah. uh, passed that around. That's the site I walked onto, and they said they really need the design rush. <laughs> wow. Look at the size of those fly towers, mate. It's insane. Yeah. So we had this guy who was doing the flywire stuff for the performers, and he was like, okay, so we had this huge meeting about health and safety and stuff. And he's like, yep, so... I don't trust anything. Um, I don't know if it's all going to work, but I'm going to Beijing, so good luck. (laughs) Anyway, that's one of the craziest ones I've ever done. Next question. (laughs) (laughs) All right, I've got one. Go on, Jeff. So, uh, in our experience, uh, most people who are in the industry who are called Paul uh, have a nickname other than the South African. Have you not picked up any nicknames along the way? The devil or PDV? Yeah, the devil. <laughs> oh, that's a good one. That's a good one. Yeah. Doesn't get much better than that, man. So people say, where's the devil? And they know well, who they're PDV is another one. PDV. 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 Okay. PDV. That's Spoke. my most common one, most likely. But devil man comes across. <laughs> <I mean. laughs> I'm not big on nicknames. Apparently everyone in the movie world has a nickname. I'm just like, I'm Paul. Hey, hey there. <laughs> Tell me where you want your fucking flag shit. <laughs> yeah. uh, okay, I, another question. Um, you, you've obviously been around the world. What's some of the favourite places you've been? Barbados. Uh, I'm so sorry for you. Oh, no, Barbados, oh, no, don't joke, don't joke. I was hoping for that question, actually. Yeah. So myself and my good friend Darren Hickman, who's my number two on a lot of my jobs, he's our power guy at uh, yeah, Prime yeah, yeah. Pride. And uh, 
main stage crew chief. But uh, yeah, so we we had a job in uh, Barbados in St. James Hull Town, and it was the holiday season, so it's a month-long jazz festival. And uh, Darren got me on that many years ago, and man, that was one of the best gigs ever. So we basically had a a static jazz festival in uh, the uh, Jamie, what was it? The Jenna... Jamie Oliver. No, no. I met, I met, uh, what's his name? (laughs) It's Wendy Kidd, so what's, what's her name? Give us a clue. Gemma Kidd, Gemma Kidd, and and, uh, what's her sister's name, Wendy Kidd? Jody Kid. Jody, Jody, Jody Kid. Yes, thank yes, you. Yes. Sorry, guys. It's I should right. have. I'm okay. drunk. We love no. We no, love name. But dropping. yeah, That's on right. there. No, there's no name dropping, and they've got a place. Um, that it's like the polo field, so they basically put on a jazz festival there. But they get us all out there for a month at a time uh, for two years. So we had a month in Barbados. A jazz festival. We did. Uh, I think. Well, the, I'm sorry about the jazz. I mean, I could have, handle it. You know. Ross, your music taste has got no bearing on my story. Please back in your box. <laughs> we did David Suchet there. We did like some cultured stuff, darling. I mean, it's like you know, we did have to hump a grand piano across grass See, to get to go. the second I'm stage. Off, well, which is, How was uh, the tuning when that landed? Was that uh, still? Uh, we had to get a few. We had to get several deaf people to retune them. <laughs> <laughs> sorry, blind people. Oh, I'm sorry for anybody blind out there. I do apologize. But you're the best tuners, man. You're good. You're good. But yeah, it was it was a stretch, Fair mate. But true. We'd all fall up at every point in time. Somebody would fall under the piano. Is that lift it up? Then someone else would come under the piano. Lift it. <laughs> They'd then run around the front, pick it up again. But yeah, we used to do like the uh, Seven Samurais with like jet skis. It was great. We got paid nothing, but we were in Barbados. Hey. Rent free, you know, it was amazing. One of the best gigs ever. Absolutely. Um, what other gigs did we do? Qatar was amazing. Qatar was interesting. We did a few gigs for the motor show there. And I had my best moment ever, probably as somebody that can shout at somebody else. And it was this uh, shake, and I was, I'd been up for like 20 plus hours. All the rest of the crew had gone to the pub, and I'm there programming for this guy from BMW who's a shake with his hangers on. And they're also kind of responsible for the whole stretch I'm doing. But I realized that nothing had been focused, and I've got like these 12 Tunisian guys who've been up for 24 hours, and God bless them, they were soldiers. They stuck with me. They were like us. You know, we'd have. Uh, you there know, are soldiers in this business, definitely. Mate, yeah, it's all of the all of you guys, Ross. You know, they're they're like our crew, and they stuck with me because I was nice to them. I'd say mission number one, you know, da 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 da. Mission number two, cigarette, <laughs> and they I was human to them. Anyway, so I realized that like about midnight that there was nothing else going to happen. And uh, these guys that I was programming this sting for, for their launch of their BMW in Qatar, the shake guy had buggered off with his lackeys for hours. And I was like trying to fix everything for a press launch with no one else except for these Tunisians. I mean, I can't speak Arabic or French and that's all they spoke. But we got on with human terms. Anyway, so we're halfway down the track going, shit, nothing's been focused. So we're focusing everything. And the shake guy came up to me and says, how long are you going to be? How long are you going to be? I says, like, uh, in a bit. He says, come on, yalla, yalla, yalla. 
Motherfucker. I, I was up a scaff tower. I flew down that scaff tower. It says, you yell at me one more fucking time. I'm going back to my hotel in a taxi and you can hang your own fucking lights. <laughs> and Did that work? this dude, I swear to God, he turned white. His two lackeys went, <laughs> that was it. I went up to my client. He fucked off. I went to my client. I said, I'm so sorry here, man. I just shouted at your client. She said, Paul, don't worry. He deserved it. <laughs> well, that was one of my proudest moments as a lion guy, especially with the oppressed. Because, I mean, the guys that we were working with, Bangladeshis and Indians, they were they were sleeping on site on like I was gonna say, okay well let's let's stuff. let's look at we the best towels, cruise but... you've had around... yours ah <laughs> oh, oh, that, that's really sweet I don't believe that's you at all story, for a second though. no absolutely though Ross oh, I mean, well, you know, that's... that's a loaded question but it's not a loaded question because you are definitely the one I well mean... essentially because I mean you've done Pride for what five years or more and you're the main yeah. lighting director on the main stage yeah, of Pride. Yeah, yeah. And uh, yeah, Ross no, has been Ross here Shepherd, to get, out of, um, get out of trouble. Absolutely, bro. I mean, yeah. I'm sorry, we won't mention anything else. That's it. You're the ones, and I wish I could give you the whole thing, but you know, we've spoken about that. Sausage. So if I ask Sausage, you if you have a favourite pride, you're going to say no. They were all good. Of course I am. <laughs> you can't ask me that, bro. Come on, that's too close to the bone. But it is yeah. true. Every single one I've pulled off, from when we first did it till the last one we did. Every single one of them that I've walked from away alive. Like you say, when you shut the doors, yeah. So, obviously, lockdown's affected everyone. Um, have you been keeping yourself busy? So, when lockdown happened, obviously, all of our worlds ended. The apocalypse happened, and we were all basically left hanging. Some people have made a lot of money out of lockdown. Good for them. Their furloughs were full whack. Um, I think the live events industry has been the worst hit, to be honest with you, and still is. Absolutely. The lack of uh, any government support for insurance for gigs is criminal. When they finance the insurance uh, for film and TV, but then deny us any insurance is criminal. And the um, Brexit combined with COVID denial of any kind of touring visa that makes sense is criminal. The, you know, Boris Johnson, Tory um, backhand of fuckfest that we're facing now. <laughs> They've given themselves 37 billion Don't pounds. Don't be about the 37 Bush, billion pounds for test and trace, which still doesn't work. That is three aircraft carriers or financing and refinancing in the NHS about four times over. They won't even give nurses a one a one percent pay increase when you're sat on three point thirty seven billion pounds and you've got the failed CEO of Talk Talk leading the charge. Are you kidding me? Anyway, politics aside, the way I survived lockdown was by absolutely going introvert, going, What the hell's going on? Trying to support my mates through WhatsApp groups and chatting. But the main thing that kept my head together was fishing. I literally had to walk in the park and go, what's going on in my life? And then realize that life is life. You got to get over yourself. 
and my friend was fishing and we were standing around the pond when we couldn't fish and you saw these oh, fish. Can I say my version of fishing is actually a few friends just opening lots of beers. You never catch anything. Ross, I get that, but we do actually catch fish. But fishing is a lot more than just sitting opening beers. It's a very much a zen meditation. Once you get into it, it, on the surface, it's a very good excuse for not being arrested for just sitting around drinking around a pond <laughs> and looking on loitering because, I mean, with intent. Yeah. Without a fishing rod, drinking and well, smoking weed around the pond looks criminal. <laughs> as soon as you've got a fishing rod in the water, you're it's, legit, it's bro. Natural. You're legit, man. Come yeah, on. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. Like, you should get a fishing rod, Ross. I swear to God. It's I'm, the same it, thing as sitting on the beach and then just having loads of tennis around you or having a fucking nice little rod set up and having I guess it's a it. kind of a, a little bit of excitement when but the my, rod starts bending, no, the line come starts on, flexing. I'm sorry. You, you'll get me to watch television next, mate. Oh, come on. Dude, have you ever caught a fish, Ross? I caught crabs once, but that's another story. It's <laughs> 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 not fishing. <laughs> right, I'm not so crabbing either. I don't so, think it's the same. No. I'll take it from there. So now Ross's tourist story aside, when you catch your first fish, right, whether you are, you know eating it or not, I prefer that the not eating factor because I can buy perfectly good salmon in the shop. For me, I want to rather catch a fish for the excitement and then put the bat. You know, put a bugger back and then grow bigger because let's face it, we've been outfished by the Chinese. And if you ever catch a fish in my common and eat it, I'm going to beat you up. Catch because and release. We need them to get bigger. Catch and release, man. Yeah, why not? Mm. There's nothing wrong with that. You don't have to eat them and kill them every single time. It's more about fishing if you understand. And this is what I'm trying to get to. The concept of fishing is, uh, once again, very Zen concept. It's about sitting with uh, what, what do you call it? active. Um, relaxed, not anticipation, but an act, act, uh, uh, inactive attention. Let's put it this way. It's very zen. Now, you can sit there. What I've been doing is studying my 7909 electrics. It's like I will go sit there, get my rods in the water. Hey, I said rods. Yes, beavers and bited. Thank you. <laughs> but once you've got a fishing rod in the water and you bait it up, and where I fish is particularly tricky, the, the fish are fly, they, it's not just pulling them out and in and out. You're fly fishing, is No, I love to learn to fly fishing, when I say the fish where I fish are fly, they're huge fish, oh, right. but they've been fished for for yonks, so you've got to be very careful, you've got to learn the tactics, and it's not just pulling, yes, they're wise fish, and that's why they're big fish, because they've not been caught, you know, they've been caught enough times that they know what bait not to go for or to go for. So that aside, the preparation for me, after, when lockdown happened, I wasn't doing any gigs. I had nothing to do, and my mind was going crazy. And, I mean, me and the missus were arguing over nothing. Uh, we're still together, thank God. I know it was, you know, but it was a push, because you're always at work. She's always working, and you need something to occupy your mind. We're all active humans. Very much so. We need Very something much. to keep ourselves going mentally. And uh, my friend was a good fisherman, so he... he you know, he said, uh, we were watching these fish when we weren't allowed to fish. And as soon as we were allowed to fish, I said, look, just teach me. And he went, yeah, sure, no problem. Turns out he's a really super hot fisherman. He used to chase these huge carp. And one of his biggest things, he chased a carp for three years. And he got it on the line once. 
and it was the one he wanted. And it was a huge did, did thirty have a pound name? What, this, what, did he have a name for it this? It does have a name. I can't tell you what it is. I can't, long as I can't remember. Say. No, come no, on. No, but well, well, I've been watching a lot of Ben and Holly because it's a good children's program, and uh, that one's called Big Bad Barry. I don't know if uh, yeah, yeah, maybe no, it's related. This one, yeah. I mean, cop, you can't joke about this stuff. Cop fishermen are very serious about this, so I'm not going to say what name it was because I can't remember. But it was and one of the big lakes. He's serious. I mean, he had baits named after him and stuff. Anyway, he had this fish, and he fished for it, targeted it for three years, and he got on the line, had it, and it just jumped off his hook at the last minute. And it was brutal. Brutal. So he didn't fish for a few years because he was traumatized. It was PTSD. <laughs> I mean, let's say uh, CTSD, carb traumatic disorder. Man. It was carb traumatic disorder. I'm sorry, CTD or whatever. But he was a broken man. He was a broken man. So when lockdown he happened... He got beaten by a he, fish. Dude, I'm, uh, unless you fish, you won't understand how true that is. Uh, beaten by a fish. Yes, true story. Anyway, so my mate Martin... Um, Anyway, he taught me to fish over lockdown, and he he re, he rediscovered fishing by teaching me to fish, because he would never have thought about fishing in Clapham Common, even though we got some big fish. I mean, we got up to 20, 24 pounds. And I think there's a big one in the in the bigger pond, but he would not have rediscovered it, it were it not for lockdown, because it gave us a common bond, and there was nothing else to do. But my brain was going insanely mental with nothing to do. So learning how to tie rigs, buying a rod, and then him teaching me the tactics of catching a carp, suddenly my brain was awake, you know? And I was like, sat there in a, in a comment, and it also gives you a good, legit reason to drink beer and you know smoke what you want to the smoke. The truth. The truth comes out. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. No, listen, that, that just my zen concept here, brother. Fuck uh, your zen. Fuck oh, your maybe later, baby. you got to buy me dinner Gets first, old. yeah? Sounds like your chakras but, might be plugged up, Ross. But. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. oh, no, but listen, what I'm saying, guys, is it's a true story. If you, I mean, I will recommend fishing to anybody. Please don't kill them. Please don't hurt them. But fishing is a very interesting way of getting back to yourself because you're staring, you've got an, in, an intention you, in the rod. You have a lot of time to reflect, I guess, because it's... Uh, well, it's lockdown, bro. Of course we've got a lot of time to reflect. There's no we st- we started on. a fucking podcast, mate. That's how bored we were. That well, was our mate, hobby, you know, yeah. It's certainly not been chilled, though, has it? <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> all I can say is we're all fishing for something in our lives. And fishing, oh, fishing is a good way fishing of for putting it down could, to earth. Yeah. So that's great advice for anyone that wants to get in touch with themselves. Anyone, uh, do you have any advice for people that have been struggling work-wise? Obviously, that's great as a hobby. I have got no magic bullet for that, I'm afraid. The only thing I can say is keep on trying, keep on trucking, do whatever you can to keep your family safe and yourself safe. There's no answer to that. It's it's brutal. It's absolutely brutal out there. My friends have struggled, I have struggled, and there's no answer. The only way is keep believing, keep believing, and, uh, and ask your friends and be open to doing anything. Amazon driving, Tesco work. I know name LDs and name people that have worked. And uh, a friend of mine now is running camp fire through sewers with people that just don't want to do the work. But you've got to do anything and everything you can to, in, survive. to survive. We all have had to. I was considering going uh, sparking. I mean, I need, we still need your 18th edition. I've lumped, I've lumped in my past, I have lumped. Uh, 
laboring work where I mean, geez, we did a laboring job, my, and that's when I really started learning my lighting. I did a job because I had another work, and we took down a ceiling. And my friend recommended this guy, and it was about 50 quid a day, but I was willing to do it. And that's what made me realize I need to work my ass off because we had basically taken down the ceiling, no PPE as apart from a gas mask, pigeon infested ceiling with spades, not even the right kit. Uh, the most simple to PPE. We smashed the ceiling down. Literally, the guy was like, cowboy, mate. We took this entire ceiling down, watching the debris knock down our ladders. We're like, oh, Jesus, what? And he didn't even bother with a chute. So we had to go th two stories down a corkscrew fucking fire escape and ba rubble bags with an entire ceiling in it. I was broken after that job. I was coughing at up the same time, more I imagine dust than I've ever done in my life. I imagine there's been some transferable skills at that point that you've that maybe realised. Listen, life is a transferable skill. Every day is a school day. There is no way in hell. And I do think that I'm stronger for all of those horrible days. And everybody should value every shit day you have. Do you think, value that experience. Do you think this uh, virus has done anything positive at all to human uh, mentality or it's human It's taught us we're not immune to the world. It's taught us the world is kicking us back in the ass. It's taught all these rich, I don't know, and privileged and, and powerful, they are not immune either. The problem we've got is people that have got a lot of money think they're immune and invulnerable. And this has taught them all that they're not because it's broken the economy, it's broken the world. And what we need to realize is there's no, there's no golden plane. We all have to work together with the environment, with each other. We can't have three rich people and an entire world of people in poverty. What I'm saying then, has it, has it done good for humanity, this? Has it, you know... Nothing is good for humanity right now. We're destroying this planet and each other at a rate of knots. We are absolutely happy to impoverish billions to enrich four people. A few people. Yeah. The planet's no, overpopulated. It's all for the few and nothing for the many. But Actually, it's an interesting fact. Um, the fact that, uh, you know, when the French re Nazi. Revolution happened, there was the, it, and it happened because there was this massive um, uh, disparity bef between the poorest and the richest. Yes. Well, actually, it's even worse now. And even I think, worse. I think if, as long as, you know, I think people need to realise um, that realize we need a revolution. We are destroying the entire race. Forget about politics. We are destroying our entire species now. We're anyway, I think we've got point. to finish the show on a positive Don't note. Don't stop me talking, Ross. We, we Let me finish to. my have... point. Thank you very much, right. sir. No, well... Pull the mic away from him. <laughs> Pull the mic away from him. I will finish my own show with my own chat. Thank you very much. My point is we all need to get back to the fact that there's only one planet, there are only us. What we all have to realise is there's only one rock on this in this universe that we know of, and that is this one. All we have is each other. The only way we can make any of this work is if we share everything amongst all of us and we stop eating each other and eating the planet as if there is going to be another one somewhere. There's no point looking at Mars, Elon. I know you love it. There's no space station that's going to keep the rich away from everyone else. We all have to share the resources and spread the wealth absolutely unequivocally evenly and we have to keep the nature going we need to stop this i mean capitalism is a system it's not the wrong system it's not the right system neither is socialism 
But unless we actually get to the grips of the basic physics of it, there is no way forward. We need to just beyond, get beyond the ego, get beyond that capitalist predator ethos, which we've been trapped in it for years. It is exactly what we've been taught from day dot. We've been taught communism is bad, capitalism is bad, all good, whatever. These are all just very vague ideologies at this point. Now we're down to survival level. Unless we take care of our environment and each other and spread the wealth equally amongst each other, there's no other way forward. We will either die together or, success, or succeed together because I'm telling you now, the environment and the world doesn't give a shit. It will starve us or burn us or drown us depending on what we do and that is the end of. It doesn't matter how much money you got. My favorite quote, and I'm going to end on this, my favorite quote ever is the uh, Indian chief, I think it was uh, Sir Ingold, who said, one day mankind will realize they can't eat money. And that is the end of.